Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. Hip, hip, hop, and you don't stop. Rockin' to the bang, bang, boogie, set up, jump, the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie, boogie to the beat. I was on an airplane with, with Sugar, uh, Hill gang? Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah. Oh and my. I was the only one that knew who they were. I was like, ah, ah. Did you go up to them and say, oh, yeah. have you ever been yeah. over Dude, your friend's house to eat yeah, when the food, food just ain't, ain't no good? good. The macaroni saga, the peas all mushed, and, and the, the chicken, chicken tastes like wood. Two years ago, I remember having coffee with a very good friend of mine who had just gotten back from India. And she was in the middle of transitioning into becoming a mindfulness coach and mindfulness instructor going to companies and having retreats. And we were talking, I was trying to understand the concept of mindfulness. And she was talking about being in the moment. And I remember saying to her, what's so great about this moment? Why is this moment that we're in right now more important to be in than to think about things in the future that could be interesting or thinking about things in the past that could be instructive or interesting. And she was trying to explain it to me. But the language she was using was the language of mindfulness. And to me, I thought that that was kind of woo-woo. And I remember thinking, I don't relate to this. It doesn't make sense. And I approached it with one of my favorite bad habits, which is skepticism. And I think about skepticism, and it's hard for me to be honest about the fact that it is my favorite bad habit because I want to justify it. Oh, it's not so bad because skepticism has a really good side. Skepticism is one side of the equation. And what I realized with my friend was that I brought my bad habit, my favorite bad habit, to that conversation. And it wasn't until I really replaced skepticism with curiosity, where skepticism is certainly an element of curiosity that I started to see the benefits of mindfulness. And this year, I decided that learning about meditation specifically was going to be one of my 2019 goals. But I thought about that and think about that a lot because I am very clear that my favorite bad habit is skepticism. So I ask you this, curiosity bite. What is your favorite bad habit? I think yours is really good, better than what I was thinking when we were talking about what the curiosity bite was going to be. I was thinking of nail biting. It's making your hands ugly. Sleeping in is making you late. Smoking is giving you cancer and wrinkles. Fast food is making you fat. <laughs> Stuff like that. Those are bad habits. Sitting all day is making you fat. You know, wasting time online. It's making you fat and boring. <laughs> I actually am reading that off of something. Now I'm thinking about it. I would say that probably my bad habit is jumping in quickly and being all in right away. Is that your favorite bad habit? Is that my favorite? No, my favorite bad habit is probably a more of a neurosis. And that is I like to pluck my hairs. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. I like to extract things out of the skin. Are you talking about popping pimples? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would say that's probably my favorite bad habit. Now, why is that a bad habit? Because it gets crazy. I mean, I, it's like I have to do it sometimes. 
So it's a compul. The reason it's that it's a compulsion. Yeah. So the bad is the compulsion. <laughs> My bad habit is if you continue to say a word, then I'll start to kind of freak out about it. And then my mind will not know what it means. I did that the other day with the word David. The word, <laughs> David? David. Is it David? What is David? It's a word. It's a name. And What I, is Becky? Becky is the one that Beyonce is referring to in the video. It's, you know what Becky is in... Uh, is it Beyonce or Taylor Swift? <laughs> Whatever it is, it's not good. You know what Becky is in uh, Tagalog? No. Homosexual. Oh, in the Philippines? Yeah. That's why people kind of chuckled at me. Yeah. All right, back to your bad habit. So your bad habit or your favorite bad habit, not the thing that you're compulsively doing, which is why it's bad, but your favorite bad habit is jumping into things. Yes, I think I go all in. I remember you saying, Jennifer, you don't have to go all in like with being friends with people. Sometimes it's just okay to be an acquaintance. You don't have to always be 100% in. And I do that with my friends. I think I do that with certain activities, even jobs. I don't compartmentalize the way I should, I think sometimes. I just jump all the way in. And that if you do that on the regular and it's a habit, then that becomes a problem. Exactly. I was thinking about an interesting study because reading about the opioid addiction problem. And is it an opioid problem or is it an addiction problem? I don't know, because if you replace opioids for something that isn't opioid based, but the behavior is the same, then it's an addiction problem. So I don't know how to think about that. But I was thinking about the idea and the history of addiction and how we used to look at it as a really bad habit and how since the diseaseification of addiction has become more and more prevalent as an idea, I wonder if the idea of thinking about addictions as part habits is kind of gone by the wayside. And is that smart? So for example, the study that I read that I started mentioning, and I'll put a pin in that for a second, because one of my other really bad habits is starting <laughs> ideas and sentences and concepts and then jumping and jumping and jumping. And that's easy to do when I have my hands and my gestures, but not so easy on a podcast. And I think I don't help you with that because I'm so used to the way you talk that I've never noticed that you do that. But apparently you do. I do. It's only back when this is in editing and the editor contacts me and says, "Um, Becky, finish finish a damn sentence, (laughs) finish a thought. So I'll finish this thought about addiction. Well, before you get into that, I was I looked up the difference between habit and addiction. Oh, and I think the thing that really sets habit apart from addiction is that a habit is like a pattern or a routine that's hard to give up. Whereas an addiction is craving or a habit to a particular substance or thing or activity. So I think habit would not necessarily be a thing or a substance. Is it a matter of degree? Do you think that the difference between a habit and an addiction, taking the genetic components and all the biological components out of the picture, is an addiction just a habit on steroids? Maybe. This gets back to the thought that I was starting when I purposefully put a pin in it and promised to come back. But the difference is I'm breaking this habit because I'm actually coming back to this thought, Okay. which is this research study that I, and this is not a sort of fact, this is not from <laughs> PU, prestigious university. This is actually from Washington University in St. Louis, my alma mater, to which I'm going back for the first time since I graduated next week. And I'm very excited That's about that. That's very exciting. But I digress oh, yet yeah. again. Whoops. 
this study came out after the Vietnam veterans returned. And what had happened is that a lot of Vietnam veterans, a huge percentage of Vietnam veterans were heroin users while in Vietnam. And it had all the makings of a heroin-friendly environment or an opioid-friendly environment. It had good quality stuff. It had lack of social stigma because so many people were doing it that it wasn't really stigmatized. It also, there was a lot of reason to do it. So it was effective to address a lot of the psychological trauma. Quickly, without, yeah. When Nixon got word of the fact that a huge number of soldiers were heroin addicts, he wanted to make sure that they weren't coming back to this country as heroin addicts. And he instituted some kind of policy where they couldn't come back if they were heroin addicts. And the interesting thing with this Washington University study, I think they studied these ex-heroin addicts for three years. The vast majority of these veterans, when they left Vietnam, never returned to using heroin. So we think about heroin, we think about it changes our brain chemistry. Well, everything changes our brain chemistry. Pain changes our brain chemistry. Every experience changes. Everything changes our brains. Every experience, every bit of knowledge that we have might be different mechanisms, but the vast majority of these heroin addicts came back and with an incentive, they were able to break the habit. And I guess the people, I want to say like 12%, they found like 12% of these veterans went back to heroin use. But most of those people that did go back to heroin use had a substance abuse problem before they went to Vietnam. Mm. So when people are talking about looking at habits as totally different from addiction because addiction is genetic. Addiction is a disease. Addiction is something that we can't control. That would only be true if incentives, carrot and stick incentives never work, but sometimes they do. And the biggest reason that addicts give for giving up their addictive behavior is consequences. Like my wife said, her husband said he or she would leave me, or I was going to lose my job, or I was going to lose my children. And if that is the biggest reason stated that addicts became non-addicts, then we probably need to understand that addiction is different than just all genetic or all a disease or all a habit. It's a whole bunch of different things. And that's why I wonder if in some cases an addiction is just a really severe habit. Yeah, I think that we tend to make a habit something light, whereas an addiction is something serious. I misunderstood what your point was. My point is that if addiction is completely different than a severely bad habit, it's only genetic. It's a disease. Your brain changes once you use it and it's never going to be the same. Then incentives would never work to break addiction. But incentives do work, not on everyone, not all the time. But when people who are addicts leave their addiction, the reasons that they state aren't because someone went in and tinkered with their brain chemistry. The reasons that they state were the consequences. Why is it that in the 80s, the Grady 80s, we all knew people that fell into one of three categories? All three tried cocaine. One said, that was really fun, but I'm not going to ever do it again. I'm not that interested in doing it again. Another one said, eh, I didn't really like it. And the third one said, that was really awesome, and I'm going to continue doing this for the rest of my life. If, in fact, cocaine, and we're not talking about different strands, they all took a line from the same whatever. If, in fact, cocaine has those effects on people, you could say, well, some people are predisposed, right? Yes, but I think you're missing a fourth 
person. Someone who was never at the party in the, to begin with. <laughs> like me. No, I was. <laughs> you were at the party. Nobody invited me. No, I was saying that someone who tried cocaine, enjoyed it, and only did it recreationally once in a while and didn't do it all the time for the rest of their life. It was a habit, not an addiction. All right. So there's four categories. Now, shove aside the three for whom it wasn't an addiction. Just shove those aside. Shoving you aside. And take the one partygoer for whom that became an addiction and put them in a room with a whole bunch of partygoers for whom that became an addiction. And some of those people, actually the vast majority of those people, were told that if you ever do cocaine again, you are going to lose everything that you ever valued. And a vast majority of those people were able to break their addiction. And some were not. So would you say that the ones who broke their addiction, they were just masquerading as addicts, but they were just really people who had really bad habits? I think some of those people were addicted, are addicted, but they were able to suppress the habit of cocaine. I think I was born with a food addiction. I think I inherited it. We have a long history of overeaters. Some people in our family died of it. And I think I'm addicted to food. Sometimes people like me have the habit of overeating, but can stop it. They can they have the control, they have the willpower, whatever it is, and they can break that habit. But the addiction is still there. The addiction will always be there, but they can suppress it and take the habit away. That's what I'm saying is there is a difference between habit and addiction. What is there that's measurable when one has the addiction, but they're not overeating, they're not heavy, and for the rest of their lives, they're not doing that? How is that manifest? Internally, I can speak from experience that the desire is always there. The initial thought is always there. You're always self-checking. You're never cured of the addiction, but you're strong enough to be able to not suffer from the addiction, that maybe you can break the habit. What do you think it does for people to find out or believe or find a study that supports that they're predisposed to an addiction? What's the benefit of having that? What's the advantage? advantage. What's the disadvantage? Well, I would think that people would say that it gives you an excuse. It makes you feel better about the fact that you're in my mind, weak, and you can't just blame yourself. You can say, oh, well, it's because I'm predisposed to this. And it helps. It helps you get through the day. Maybe. Does that help you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just for everybody else, not well, me. I mean, Pay like, no attention. If you go to therapy, you know, they always want to, you know, well, who's your parents? And they always want to blame everything and not blame you. Do you think that the whole disease model of addiction has more benefit or more inherent disadvantage? Is it a crutch or is it a motivation? I think it depends on the person. For me, it's just like when you're trying to learn something or you're taking a class in dance or anything, and some people do better when they're the best in the class and some people do better when they're the worst in the class. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing. I think there's something else Actually, as you're saying this, I agree with everything you're saying. The tendency to make everyone the same is very enticing. We want this tidy takeaway for what humans do or what humans are or some pattern that means that we are all the same in everything we do. 
And in so many ways, we're no different from each other. And in some ways, we're no different from other primates. But in a lot of ways, we're different because there might be a lot of different factors affecting how we behave. But I do think that the downside to if there is one, and I suspect that there is usually an upside and downside to every hypothesis or every way that we approach different kinds of things like this. I think the downside to the disease model of addiction is that once we decide that it's the disease model of addiction, anyone who challenges that assumption is seen as mean-spirited or seen as taking away progress from how we have finally were addressing this. We used to blame the victim, and now we understand that it's a disease, and anyone who challenges that is mean, when maybe there's more to it than a disease. I have a list of the best, worst habits, Ooh. which is fun. But I do have one question before I ask you, okay. before I go into the list. Do you know what trichotillomania is? It means that you trick yourself <laughs> into tickling yourself. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> trichotillomania. Well, if you took aesthetic classes like I did, you would know that trick has to do with hair. And it's about something that I was talking about earlier is pulling hairs out. But you don't pull hair out of your head. No, no. Like out of my legs and out of my arms and on your face. Not that I have hair on my face, but <laughs> that is the number two best worst habit. I have a favorite habit, but I don't think it's bad because if I didn't do it, I think it would be worse. And that is, that has to do with trichotillomania is I have feel around ever since I've gone through <laughs> menopause, I feel around like the little tiny hairs on my chin. And you have to pull them. And I, I have to get to the tweezers. Yep. And as a matter of fact, I was traveling and I thought that I didn't have my Mr. Tweezers tweezer in my dop kit. And it was, as I imagine, a heroin addict without a fix. Yep. I have the same thing, but double, triple that because I do it to my leg hairs. You don't shave? No, I wax. And then you so when I'm in between the two waxing periods, I have to tweeze. You tweeze? Yes. Do you sit there when you're watching TV? Yes. Do you ever do it in public? No, but I've wanted to. Have you feel like in on public? an airplane or something? Do you feel in public? Yes. I have caught myself. I mean, it's like a teenager who pops their zits without even knowing it. It's the same is, thing. I feel in public. I feel the whiskers. And then you have to get. I have been on a plane and actually wanted to get in my overhead luggage and get the tweezers out and go in the bathroom, even when there's a line. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry I've been in there for 20 minutes, but it was very pesky. That's an addiction. Okay. <laughs> and you need to admit it. Okay, but guess what number one is? What? Which is also an addiction, or I mean, a habit that I love. What? Can you guess? A habit that you love? Yeah. Popping zits. No, no. Oh. I mean, yes, but swearing. Swearing is the number one best worst habit. And I love swearing because it just feels good sometimes. The thing about it is swearing is so interesting. We could do a whole podcast on swearing. And I do want to spend a minute on this because we have decided on this podcast not to make this a podcast with swear words. And that means that we have a lot of editing that we have to do, <laughs> which is especially time today, which is not especially the liar. <laughs> it's time consuming. 
But I was talking to a friend of mine who is 92 years old, and he was talking about something. It was around Christmas time, and he didn't like, oh, I know what it was. Dane had a, a sweatshirt that said, Merry and Christmas. And he did not like that. And he's a hip guy. And I was explaining to him, because he doesn't like the word, and he doesn't like that the F word has kind of creeped into our vernacular, and it's become commonplace, and it's just disgusting. And he thinks it's a sign that you can't say something more intelligent. And I'm like, what the F is more intelligent than him, but whatever. <laughs> but I had researched the history of swear words. There's this book called, the woman who wrote it is outside of Boston. I tried to interview her for the first season of ACLR. And she wrote a book on the history of swearing. And one of the things that I realized is the arbitrariness of swear words. Like one of the biggest swear words that used to be just, oh my God, I can't believe it, was golly. And it was taking <laughs> golly. golly. The words that are considered swear words, it changes throughout history. And so it could be... Was it called Holy... Sh yes. A Brief History yes. of Swearing by Melissa Moore? Yes. <laughs> yes, that's it. Holy sh... The Brief History of Swearing. But even with the podcast, for example, if you have expletives in your podcast, and we had a few in season one, you know, we're going to try our best to see that we can do this without. And if it turns out that we can't, then we're just going to have to abandon it. But you have to put like a little E on Apple iTunes. You have to put a little E on each episode that has swearing. Hmm. Can we rise to the occasion and not swear? So I anyway, think we can. I think we can too. So, so far we're doing pretty well. I think I would give us a solid B. Minus. That's pretty. Oh. You haven't sat through the editing process, oh, so shut the F up. <laughs> True. Uh, all right. Okay, number three is picking your nose. And I have to say, I have never had really the worst habit of picking my own nose, but I have to come clean right here, right now. Babies. When your I kids were babies? could not stop picking my kids' nose. I got to the point where I think I went beyond the age that it was appropriate when they finally had to say stop picking my nose mom so that was a mom habit. i'm on a date <laughs> <laughs> if i could i probably would but mom, i'm trying to drive <laughs> i did i did i did my too kids nose. i did is that well when they were babies they felt so helpless and then they had like a booger in their nose and it was just so helpless and pathetic that you had to pick it but i remember picking maybe a little bit too cleanly a couple of times did you have one of those suction cuppy things i did love those it was a blue one of those yes. blue bubbles and you were supposed to use it to if your kid was like aspirating or something <laughs> and, you know to suck the whatever out of their throats but i used it a couple of times to suck the boogers out yep so that's number three. Yeah, because I don't feel like that's ever been a huge bad habit of mine. Mm -mm. But I knew kids growing up. You know, we knew the nose pickers. Yeah, nose pickers for sure. One thing I will say about nose picking, when we traveled to Thailand in the 90s, Stephen turned to me and said, I think I know the national sport. <laughs> and we looked at each other. And of course, at that moment in time, I looked at there was this adult with his finger all the way up his nose. And I said, you're right. The national sport, and things can change, but in the 90s, it wasn't Muay Thai. It was nose picking. It was astonishing. Really? But maybe when you live in a place like Bangkok with all that pollution, it's the only way you can breathe. Well, I know there are certain societal things that people do depending on the culture, like burping in some cultures is a way of complimenting the chef. I'm just going to tell you. I know. You would not like that. I would not. You're very particular that way. I don't like burping. Mm-mm. Biting nails, obviously, that's one that people have that I don't have. Steven picks at his hangnails. I do that. You do? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I think you've yelled at me about that before. Picking at your hangnails? Yeah. I wouldn't bite my nails because I wouldn't think it was sanitary. And you have pretty polish. Well, now I do. Yeah. This is the first 
It's probably been in the last year that I stepped up to being a big girl with nail polish. And the reason is that I wasn't ever patient enough to sit with a manicure. I would do a pedicure all the time because I could multitask. But now that you can leave the manicurist with the gel yeah. and it's dry, dry instantly. instantly, it's nice. Now I'm like, like my big girl fingernails. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to skip a few of the boring ones. Like What's the, tell me drinking one. coffee, drinking tea, blah, 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 blah. But watching reality television. Do you have that? No. But do you, is there any reality TV that you like? I do. What? Naked and Afraid. I swear to God, I did not know that. Naked and Afraid. I don't even know what that is. Oh, they take these two people that don't know each other. They put them somewhere horrible that I would never. Like go, where? You know, in a jungle. Sometimes even, I think this season, they're putting him somewhere cold. Forget it. And like the bayou of Louisiana or, you know, some remote island in Cambodia or Africa. And they strip down naked and they have to meet each other and they have to survive. I think, is it like 29 days with no food, no clothes? No, thank you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And they tap out. And I always say the minute they ask me to do it, I tap out right now. That reminds me of when people were talking about having natural childbirth. And I remember saying, I don't even want a natural pregnancy. (laughs) I mean, the minute I found out I was pregnant, I'm like, hook me up to whatever drugs or epidural. I mean, what difference does it make? You get all the way. You don't drink coffee. You don't smoke. You don't do any of the, no alcohol. And then right when your child is going to be born, give me morphine or (laughs) epidural or whatever. It's like, why not just get it done? Why suffer nine months? By the time they come out. They're done. That stuff hasn't even reached them yet. So who cares? Oh, so you're thinking it's a developmental issue. No, I'm thinking that it's a timing issue. When you you get all those drugs, it's not reaching them. They're already out of your body by that point. All right. Well, it reminds me of a sort of fact that came out of, of course, (laughs) PU. And for those of you who don't know PU, it's a prestigious university. And they found that the vast majority of people, when asked about their favorite bad habit, switched the habit to being something less bad. So rather than jumping into exactly what their bad habit was, 83% justified the habit, making it less bad before explaining what their bad habit is. So I ask you, as we leave you today, the curiosity bite. What is your best bad habit? No. Oh, that's not it? No. What is your favorite bad habit? No. What is it? What is your favorite bad habit? Oh, okay. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, subscribe to Apply Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.